Welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast, a podcast all about inspiring and encouraging dads and anglers as we wade through fishing, parenting, and faith on the fly. Coming up on this episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast, we get the opportunity to interview Mr. Bill Gamble. Mr. Bill Gamble is the author of a book, A Sportsman's Pursuit, a devotional book about finding Christ, family, and friends in the great outdoors. Mr. Bill is also a expert fly casting instructor, and he has a series on YouTube called Teaching Yourself to Fly Cast, Learning the Essentials by Mr. Bill Gamble along with his father. Yeah, so we talked to Bill about fly fishing, fly fishing in Texas, important times that he had with his dad, being intentional with his kids. And we even get into doing something called sight nipping for trout, which was a cool thing to learn about with Bill as well. So we hope you will enjoy this episode. Dads on the Fly is brought to you by Maggie Valley Fly Shop. Located in the heart of Maggie Valley, the shop offers guide trips and top-of-the-line gear and apparel for all your fly fishing needs. Yeah, Shannon and his crew over at the Maggie Valley Fly Shop just opened this October. They're already making a great impact here in western North Carolina. So if you're taking a trip to the Great Smoky Mountains or anywhere in western North Carolina, make sure to give them a shout for a guided trip or go see them for any of your fly fishing needs. You can also check them out online at maggievalleyflyshop.com. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast. We are super excited tonight to have another special guest with us, and on the line with us tonight is Mr. Bill Gamble. Now, we got the opportunity to meet Bill actually through Instagram, which was really cool, and then he sent us along some of these really great books that he has written that are all about, uh, just really about finding God in the outdoors, and it's been such a cool uh, book for us to read. So to tell you a little bit more about Bill... Bill's a college biology instructor from Baytown, Texas. He's a well-known fly fisherman. He's known for his casting and his how-to booklet, The Essentials of Fly Casting, and his DVD, Teaching Yourself to Fly Cast. He's fished all over the U.S. and parts of the Caribbean, focusing mainly on trout, largemouth bass, and redfish. Whether he's teaching biology in school or enjoying the outdoors with his wife and kids, Bill truly loves experiencing God's great creation. So, Bill, thank you so much for being on with us tonight. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm really look. For, I've been looking forward to a chance to speak with y'all. Well, we appreciate you uh, taking the time. I he uh, want to let everybody know, Mr. Bill is from Texas, so he is coming to us tonight from the the big state of Texas. And uh, I do see something about Texas A&M here. I wasn't going to bring any of that up. Um, you know, me being an Appalachian grad, but we'll just kind of plow on through to the episode. Just to- <laughs> uh, you. Um- said earlier that i could just tell you whatever i needed you to edit out we'll edit that part out we'll edit that part out mr bill we really appreciate you being with us tonight man uh just a you know it was a cool thing caleb he uh he kind of heard about us through a, through another podcast he listens to and um i think he listened to a couple of our episodes and um, you know, he, he says these cool books, man. Tell us about that, Mr. Bill. Just not about your book, but just kind of how you found us. And then we'll go into some of your fly fishing background. Well, I think, uh, one of the podcasts I listened to was, was going to be a guest of yours on, on a podcast. And I saw him put some links on Instagram and I just kind of followed the links and, and found you. And I listened to his episode and I really liked it. And, um, um, so I started scrolling back through some of your um, um, 
uh, archives and, and really liked what you were doing and, and liked um, tying family and faith and, and fly fishing together. That's, those are things that are really high on my list. And um, I think the world needs a lot more family and faith to go with whatever their hobby is and fly fishing and hunting and just happened to be mine. And so this fits, fits right in. Yes, sir. We'll, we want to get into, first of all, just, um, you have a great story with your own dad. I know that you, you tell that a, a great, many of these stories in the book speak about that. And just in talking to you, is that who got you with the first ever fly rod in your hand? Was that your father? Yes. Yes. He was, a he was, by the time I was old enough to fish, he had already gone through a stage where he had had his 30 minutes with a bait casting rod and was off to fly fishing and never picked another one up. And, um, uh, so he was pure fly fishing by the time I was able to fish at all. And I did just a couple of, couple of seasons with a push button Zebco. He taught me to throw a bait caster just because every kid in Texas has to, um, <laughs> right. And then, then, um, I was, I was pretty much fly fishing with him by the time I was, I guess I was fly fishing in Montana when, by the time I was 10. Wow. Um, I probably was catching bluegill on a fly rod by seven and, um, uh, did a lot of fly fishing in Montana with, um, with a bush button reel when I was seven, eight years old, I just, I had dropped a fly down, you know, a nymph down below, um, a bubble with a water filled bubble that I could throw on my, on my spinning rod. But, um, pretty quick thereafter went straight to, um, fly fishing and have been doing that ever since I had a little bit of time in college. Uh, my master's thesis actually required, um, rod and reel catch data to be collected. And in order for it to be, um, um, uh, repeatable, my major professor said, you need to do this with conventional tackle, not a fly rod. So I literally had to go buy equipment uh, <laughs> wow. in, order, in order to do it. Uh, he said, you'll be the only person in the state of Texas that could do this, doing it with a fly rod. And so um, that's not true, but it, that was his feeling. And um, But he said it would be more repeatable for people if you do it with conventional tackle and more applicable across America. And it actually turned out to be a pretty neat little thesis project. Probably, probably a story for another time though. Yeah. That's, that's, I'd love to hear about that maybe one day, but, uh, so you've been fly fishing for almost your whole life, but you grew up there in Texas. So, uh, you said you did some time in Montana though, fly fishing with your dad, but did y'all do a lot of fly fishing there in Texas as well? Yes. Mainly for bass and okay. redfish. Um, uh, I live right on the coast, but I don't live on the pretty coast. Okay. <laughs> um, the, Tr the Trinity River comes out, out of Dallas and through East Texas, and the water is much dirtier. And so the bay system that I live on, um, you know, if you can see your tennis shoes and knee deep water, that's clear water. Okay. Uh, whereas um, down the coast, the red fishing that everyone knows about down in Rockport, Port O'Connor, those, those areas, you know, that's really truly clear water. Um, very similar to what you would find on, on uh, the, maybe the west coast of Florida. Uh, not as clear as maybe the Keys, but along the, the coast of Florida, you you know, where you can really, from 65, 
70 feet away, you see a redfish in the water. Well, you can't do that here for on the best day. Uh, you, you can't see it that far away unless his tail's breaking the water surface or you see a, a wake or something like that. But um, so I did red fishing and, and there were quite a few places where he and I knew where we could go stand on a falling tide and just blind cast into a gut. And um, we'd catch speckled trout, redfish and flounder hanging right on the falling tide coming out of the, you know, the gut emptying the marsh. All you had to do was hit the water, you know, the change in the water line. And if you hit that water break, you were going to catch a fish. Uh, so we did a lot of that. And then um, really my dad kind of set this up a long time ago. He and I were both hunters. And so we would put our guns away at the end of the hunting season, uh, kind of rest and, and catch up in February. And by March, we were fishing for bass. The bass were shallow and, and we fished shallow bass. We didn't own a boat. And so we wade fish in these big reservoirs, uh, just walk in off of public land. And um, um, about the time the bass spawn was over, the bluegill were spawning. Um, so we'd fish the red ear beds and the bluegill beds behind the, behind the bass. And then by the time that started to wind down just a little bit, the speckled trout in the bay were moving into and could be caught. And, you know, so May and June, you can catch them in rather shallow water. So wade fishing the bays where it's an option. And then by that time, while the, when it started getting too hot for that, it was too hot to be in Baytown. And so we left uh, and um, we spent weeks in um, ma mainly in southern, uh, southwestern Montana. We would uh, center in West Yellowstone and an hour and a half drive from West Yellowstone is all kinds of trout fishing. I mean, in inside an hour and a half of that place, there's a world of trout fishing to be had. And in the in the eighties and nineties, it was just tremendous. Um, uh, some of it has been ruined. Um, like the the upper part of the Yellowstone River, the flat water above the falls, um, was that was a fifty fish day for a 12 year old kid from Texas. And now it might be a two fish day or a one fish day. The The lake trout coming out of the um, Yellowstone Lake have just decimated the cutthroat population from what I understand. And it's not even worth going um, unless you're hunting one gigantic trout because there'll be a huge, you know, 26 inch fish laying there, but it'll be one all day kind of thing. And so, in the last year or two now, actually, I have had more fun uh, fishing Colorado on my way out there. Um, I, I would drive out with one son and uh, fish on the way out. And then my wife would fly in with the rest of the family and we'd spend time in Montana. And then one of the other sons would fish their way back with me. And um, we had more fun in the Wyoming, Colorado area than we did in, the, in Montana. And... Uh, it, it's still really good fishing. It's just um, the sentimental spots are not what they used to be. Yeah. And I've had more luck finding new spots in these other states than I did finding new spots. And, you know, some of the new stuff I tried in Montana didn't work out as well. And so I have a better taste in my mouth for Colorado and Wyoming here in the last few years. Gotcha. Um, that's cool. Well, that's, that's so cool, Bill, the way you talk about just kind of going through those seasons with your dad. Um, and I know that's gotta be really special to you that you were able 
I mean, I, I hear that now and I think what a cool way to grow up, uh, just being able to spend that time with him in the outdoors. And uh, you get a real sense of that from, from your book um, of how important that was to you. Would you would you speak on that a little bit, just what it was like to be able to spend that amount of time with your dad in the outdoors? Well, it's, it's something that I would, you know, I wouldn't trade for anything now. Um, he, he passed away when I was 27 years old. And, um, um, you know, they said at his funeral that he spent more time with his kids in the 27 years he had them than most people do who live to be 80 and their kids are 60. Um, you know, my brother passed away when he was 17 and, um, then, but I was 12 and then dad lived whatever that is, another 14 years, uh, until I was 26, 27 years old. And um, um, in that time, he was very, very sick. Mm. And um, he he battled cancer for about nine years. And um, he had been given two years to live, but he checked himself into a basically a guinea pig program and said, if you can't cure it, let's learn something about it. And he took a lot of wasted um, uh, chemotherapy that didn't do anything, but some of them did do something. And um, they ex- were able to extend his life an extra seven years. Well, I graduated from college three times and he and I fished Montana at least five of those years, maybe six of those years. And we had six duck seasons together Um now, duck seasons kind of changed over time. Um, it got me more uh, me guiding him than us yeah. going together. Yeah, you know, it was me dropping him at the blind where he could step out of the boat into the into the blind, and then I'd do the work and come back and get him, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he did that for me for so many years. Yeah. You know, I, I remember him saying, "Okay, you'll be able to see my flashlight." You just follow this trail and come on and I'll have all the decoys put out when you get there. And it, I, it took me forever to walk out there because the grass was so high. And I was, you know, at the time I wasn't very big at seven, eight years old. And so he'd have all the work done. Well, I remembered the last years we were there, this last bird that we would kill, he would take his gun and start for the boat. Well, I'd pick up all the birds. I'd pick up all the decoys. I'd go hide the decoys, come back and get all the equipment. And I'd get to the boat about the time he did yeah. because it just took him that long to walk out. And so anyway, it's, um, it, I wouldn't trade that time for anything with, um, with my older brother or, uh, my father. And we, we spent a lot of time together in, in, um, in the marsh, uh, hunting ducks or, uh, or fishing, you know, at 12 years old, you don't really remember your brother that well. Um, but I, I can close my eyes and I can see him in Montana more than I can at, at my mother's house. You know, wow. um, I don't visualize him just on a day to day basis, but I can see him on those rivers. I can see him in the marsh and the same with my dad. Now I remember dad at the house more. I mean, you, you mature a little bit. The difference between 12 and 27 is a huge difference in your memory and, and what you can kind of keep together. But what a powerful thing though, that we, uh, we talk about a lot on our show and with a lot of our listeners and people who interact with us on, I think that's just a testament to how powerful 
you you hold on to those memories from from being out there and uh and your dad took time to be intentional which we talk about a lot being intentional to be present with you in the outdoors um doing the things that you both loved and then over time you repaid that favor um and were able to be intentional with that and and through that you've done the same thing with your kids you talked about fishing with one on the way up and one on the way out and on the way back and um i know you've post some pictures every now and then with some cool fish and uh with uh i think that's your is that your that's my youngest son your youngest son yeah. gotcha 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 i know well, you I, I have a i have a 20 year old who doesn't fish as much as he used to anymore because he's he's in full-blown college mode and gotcha gotcha he didn't even get to go on the trip this year because he took a full load of summer classes and then um my um 16 year old he is really um he was the fishiest little kid you ever knew. He could catch a fish in the in a mud puddle, um, but he's gone head first into baseball right now. Oh yeah, and um, uh, so he really focuses on the gym and batting gotcha. cage and uh, and playing, you know, the, throwing bullpens with his friends at the at the school par at the school um, ballpark and that kind of thing. But my little twelve-year-old, he is my shadow. Um, everybody needs a sixth grader. And, uh, <laughs> I got a fifth grader, so right there um, behind you. Yeah, every every fifty-three-year-old needs a sixth grader. Say it that way. <laughs> I like it. That's good. Uh, um, so um, he he'll hunt anything, fish for anything. Uh, he really spends a lot of time with me and. Um, to be honest with you, he's getting a little better experience than the other two got in that. Uh, and this is kind of to one of y'all's questions about, you know, how do you, how do you um, spend time with your kids when you have all three of them, you're trying to get all three of them to catch a fish. Yeah. All three of them to have fun. Yes, sir. All three of them to enjoy the experience. And that's really hard to do. And I'm not sure the other two, the older two got as good of a time with that. Um, I know the middle one didn't because he was, he was always with either. With the big either one, one, or the yeah. one. Um, you know, JW got some early on by himself before the other two grew up. And then, then now John's getting a lot of time by himself because the other two are, are out of it. But, um, um, I'm not sure that's not something I wouldn't do different is to go back and have more time where I just take one of them. We had, and, uh, we had a recent guest that talked about that. He, he has a, just kind of a dad tip he gave us. We always like to include a little dad tip on all of our episodes and he has five, which is, I have two. We just play man to man at my house. And, <laughs> uh, he, he talked about how he would do sometimes just a day with, with just the kid, not all of them. Like you're saying, just take one of them, to do this adventure or one of them to do this thing. Um, and we, we've talked about that sometimes. We even talked about that this weekend. Me and my wife, like just me and my son went out and didn't take my daughter um, on a recent, just a couple hour fishing trip, just because it's that kind of one-on-one time. And I, I think that's so powerful. I don't want to move on. I know Caleb's got a question for you, but I got to come back to one thing uh, just because we were talking about Texas fishing. And I don't, I don't know a lot about Texas fishing, but uh, where you, were you casting a lot of uh, top water to all those bass, man? Was that how you were catching those bass back then with your dad and uh, and those like a flounder on a fly rod? That sounds fun. I've never I've never caught a flounder on a fly rod. Okay, so flounder on a fly rod was pretty much anything white or short chartreuse. They couldn't um, eat. 
the the the, the classic chartreuse and white clouds or minna bounced on the bottom. You know, at that time on the areas that we were fishing, you had the marsh grass. You had about a foot and a half of kind of a clay slope. And then the clay slope would hit the sand on the bottom of the bay. And when your fly came off of that clay slope onto that sand, you were going to get bit if he was there. I like it. And so you just kind of, it was just like bass fishing. You, you waded along 30, 40 feet from the, from the shore and you just hit the grass, pull your fly out of the grass and trickle it down that clay slope. And ever 30 yards or so, you were going to hit a, hit a flounder. I like it. And, um, then, um, you know, on the, uh, we were talking about throwing to the falling tide coming out of the guts in the marsh. Literally, if, um, if the fly hit the water, a trout would hit it. Hmm. And if it didn't, if it sunk, if it sunk at all, a redfish would hit it. And if those two things didn't happen and it, you actually drug it across the bottom, there was a flounder to hit it. <laughs> That's pretty and good. Because all three species would all three species would converge to that to that drain and literally all you had to do was hit the drain and um you know you could stand a comfortable cast away because the water was kind of off color you know it's not like you were trying to hide from them so just stand at a comfortable distance and um and throw into that moving water and and let it sink and um and but for the bass i i did everything um um I um I really like top waters. Um I had a little fly that I developed a while back and it was the first time I had ever seen it. I don't not saying it was the first time it was ever done, but it's the first time I had ever seen it. But the famous fly, the saltwater pattern, the bend back. Hmm. Um, where there's a slight bend in the hook and the and the the fly is tied upside down where the hook runs up and bucktail covers the point of the hook. Well, I started tying that with a foam wing. Hmm. And then I cut a hole in the wing and stuck the hook through the hole. So the hook went through the foam and was exposed on the top. And um, so the fly ran, ran upside down and that foam floated in the surface and you could literally drag it over a lily pad and the hook was completely protected by that foam, but the foam was squishy enough that when the bass bit it, the foam bent down out of the way, leaving the point of the hook right there. And so uh, that was quite an effective fly for fishing around hydrilla beds and, and coontail beds and, and lily pads and things like that. And so I, I really enjoyed that part of the bass fishing. Um, just seeing the, you know, just seeing the bottom fall out of a fly, you know, when they'd come up there and just crush it. Um, um, that was always the exciting part of it. And, you know, I, I had some nice streamer patterns I liked. And if you really wanted to catch a bass, that's what you threw. Oh, yeah. You threw a weedless stream. And, you know, it's kind of like trout. Um, they're going to feed under the surface most of the time unless something really – special is going on and then you can get them to eat and and my dad and i did that i 
all three of my children have caught more fish on nymphs than I've ever thought about catching. Yeah. Um, and I've fished, I don't know how many years more than they have. Um, but all that time in Montana with my father, we didn't fish nymphs. We didn't huh. even fish hopper droppers. Wow. I, I would go find, I'd go find a fish cruising a backwater and throw an ant mm. or I would, I would, I would go, um, um, you know, um, the sad thing about it, I, I didn't even learn how to throw, uh, uh, to what I call sight nymphing, which is what all my, all three of my kids do great now. Okay. Um, if you sight, sight fish a, a trout and he's not feeding on the surface, instead of putting the indicator rig and all that on, we just put a beadhead nymph on and throw it up like a dry fly and then watch the trout. And when the, when the fly is in the, about the right spot, if his head ducks left or right, set the hook. You know, he moved, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Set the hook. And I didn't learn that technique until I would, you know, until I had three kids. Yeah. I don't know how many trout I'd have caught in my life if I could have done that. Uh, but, you know, dad and I, we didn't fish with anybody. Yeah. We didn't, fish with, we didn't hire guides. We didn't have friends. Um, and when we were out there, we were just alone. Yeah. And, um, um, we didn't know anything about some of those techniques and dry fly fishing was the only articles dad would ever read. So, you know, he didn't know how to do nymph fishing any, and he didn't even know, hadn't even read about it. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, but think uh, of all those great fish you have and you caught them all in the dry from all those stories, right? So cool. Yeah. It, well, that's true. I'm, I'm pr proud of it. And, and, you know, to this day, if I can see the fish, I'm, have a really good chance of catching him. There you go. If yeah. I can't see him, if I can't see him, I really have a good chance of whoever's with me outfishing me. <laughs> I, understand. Just, I don't have the confidence to fish deep like that. Yeah. And, um, uh, but if they're shallow and, and active, they don't have to be feeding on the surface, but if they're shallow and active, I'll somehow figure out how to catch him eventually. There you go. I might stand there for two hours. But <laughs> You'll figure it out. I love it. Well, Bill, uh, we're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, we're going to dive in a little bit more into what we we say you're really a professional at, and that is fly casting. You've done an awesome job at being able to teach that to so many people, and we want to ask you some questions, particularly about casting a fly rod. So we're going to take a short break, and then we will be right back. This episode of Dad's on Fly is brought to you by Anadromous Fly Company. Joshua, tell everybody about Anadromous Fly Company. Okay, the Anadromous Fly Company is your sharpest decision in fly tying tools and scissors. And for our listeners, you can use Dad's 20 at checkout for 20% off of your entire purchase from Anadromous Fly Company. That's at aflyco.com. Yeah, so go see Herb and his team at aflyco for some amazing scissors. These scissors have changed our fly tying game. So check them out at aflyco.com and use Dad's 20 at checkout. And we are back with Mr. Bill Gamble from Texas. And uh, we've been talking a lot about just his story and fly fishing and how he got a lot of opportunities to fish with his dad, chasing bass and redfish in Texas and got to spend summers in Montana. And now he gets to do this with his with his kids and catching trout and catching all these fish. But uh, if you if you do a Google search on uh, Mr. Bill here. One of the things you get is he is an expert fly casting instructor. 
and uh, he's got some videos on YouTube, and he, and he he wrote a is it a is a book on fly casting or, or was it a pamphlet? I can't remember the exact. It is a it's about a I want to say twenty four page pamphlet. Okay. Uh, it was put out by the then it was the Federation of Fly Fishers. Uh, I think they're the FFI now, uh, but it was the FFF back then, and um, uh, they had put a series of educational booklets together, you know, basic knots, basic uh, how to fly fish, um, how to tie fly, you know, that kind of stuff. All of them in a more or less 24-page format type thing. Well, the lady who was uh, head of the education department for the FFF at the time um, taught biology in the room next door to where I teach now. Oh, awesome. And she, um, I'm not picking on her, but I'm pretty sure she and her dad and I were the only two people she knew who knew how to fly cast. <laughs> and so um, she, you know, I, she didn't, they were great trout fishermen. But she wanted someone who would take the time and and write the book properly and and uh, really spend a little bit of time and do it right. And she asked us to do it. And I'm so thankful, so grateful for that opportunity. Um, um, my dad, at, at the time, I kind of had this goal. I, want, I had this dream. I was going to make a living in the fly fishing industry somehow. And for two people from Baytown, Texas, which is absolutely as far from fly fishing, anything as you can get, um, to be asked to write this little 24 pages, uh, you know, that was great for us. I'm sure it would have been a, you know, kind of a letdown for some people, but, um, to us, it was a chance. Well, she didn't know it, but we took two years to write 24 pages. Um, we started going to um, casting instruction that was available in Houston. Some of the fly shops in Houston um, would bring in, you know, the Lefty Craze, the Steve Ray Jeffs, um, Mel Kriegers, you know, people like that. And we were videotaping like um, with the home uh, VHS camera. And then we would watch it like football film. My dad was an athlete had always watched football film. And I relate and, to that. You know, that is so cool. He, he could break down stuff, break down golf swings. He could break down baseball swings. Well, what we realized is in the early eighties, fly casting instruction was basically do it like me <laughs> and you'll be great. Like me. There you go. Don't do it like me. You're wrong. Well, um, if you look at Lefty Cray, you see a great caster. Well, you look at Steve Ray Jeff, Mel Krieger, and Joan Wolf, you see three more great casters. But none of those four people's casting style is the same. That's a great point. And so who's right and what, what am I supposed to do? Mm. How am I supposed to do this? So what Dad and I did was we started looking for the common thread and we found five and we called them the five essentials. And basically if you do these five things, you're going to make a good straight line overhead cast. Now it's not meant to work with spay casting and it's not meant to work with um, 
you know, all types of roll cast and stuff like that, or, or, you know, even aerial men's and stuff of that nature. But if you want a basic 24 pages on how to pick up, lay down, false cast, and present the fly in a straight line to your target and make a basic fly cast, that's what it was about. And well, and there have been other people those, who have used your – there have been other people because I was reading an article of uh, from Orvis actually just last year, and they uh, they give you no credit to for the – the five essentials there there's a guy who had done some videos and you know you're credited that bill gamble respected fly fishing these are his essentials and and so talk about how you how you decided on five well it's been a long time ago now (laughs) (laughs) Um, we we really if i remember right we had seven or eight things that we thought were going to be in there. And then we started discussing them. And um, and I'll just give one example. Like one of the um, um, essentials is about the power application. You have to apply power at the proper time and the proper amount. And then one of the things that we did not put in there as an essential was the stop and the and that has been brought up a thousand times why didn't why isn't the sixth essential the stop well if you think about that really good you're trying to apply power to the line to throw the loop you don't throw a loop until you stop so you've never applied power until you stop. You accelerate to a stop. If you don't have the acceleration to a stop, then you just have acceleration. And you're still accelerating. And you still haven't cast yet because you're still accelerating. You don't cast until you stop. So the stop was explained on, on the pages explaining power application. The stop was um, was was written into the explanation of power application as the endpoint or the culmination of the application of power was an acceleration to a stop, and so that's how we kind of by really thinking through the process. Okay, what are we really doing here? Let's not yeah. just list a bunch of stuff that we know is sort of true. Let's figure out how this really works mm-hmm. and that sounds all great until you realize that we put those five essentials down and we didn't know how they really worked we we knew they were right yeah but if you read that booklet it was slack timing straight line cast a uh, straight line path of the rod tip a variable casting arc, and then power application. Well, now, if you look at my my DVD, which my wife and I produced, it is not anything that is going to win any type of awards, but it has some of the best night photography that I've ever seen because we didn't worry about 
washing out my face. Everything <laughs> is so hot that the line is literally glowing. Yeah. The rod is literally glowing and you can't see my face, but everything else is popping. Well, by the time I did that DVD, I had talked with the essentials for over 20 years. Wow. So I knew how they worked. Hmm. And the rod tip traveling in a straight line path is the one essential. Hmm. All the other four things work together to make that happen. If you screw up the slack, you messed up the rod tip moving in the straight line path. Yeah. If you screw up timing, you've messed up the straight line path. If you don't apply the power right, you messed up the straight line path. They, you know, so there, I, during the video, I reordered them and I presented the straight line path of the rod tip as the A number one essential. And then and I restated straight line path as the fifth one there. The five things work together to make the rod tip travel in a straight line path. And what I mean by that is that if you vary the rod right to left, if you cast around yourself in a circle, you've broken an essential. Mm -hmm. That's the straight line path essential. Mm. The, the, the straight line path from a concave or convex standpoint, that is a result of the other four essentials together. So if you have slack, your rod will rise with no bend in it. And then all of a sudden the line straightens and you get this deep bend. Hmm. Well, now you have a sine wave and the, your, your rod tip path looks like a sine wave. It rose at first and then it dipped way down and it came back up at the end. Well, that's exactly what the top leg of a tailing loop looks like. Yeah. And so that was the result of me having slack. I didn't do anything to make the rod tip go in a straight, not, not go in a straight line. What I did was screwed up my slack or I screwed up my power application or I screwed up my timing. And the result was the rod tip didn't go in a straight line exactly. when, it, when you're talking about concave or convex path of the rod tip. So right to left, it's an action and up and down. It's a result. I don't know if that made sense or not. No, that makes total sense as I sit here and listen to it. And now now I'm really dying to go check out your your video that you made. Um are the, is that still available? Um no. Okay. Um now um I lost the ability to uh produce that in the flood of Har Hurricane Harvey. Oh wow. And um so what I did was I took what I had and I took all the fluff out of it mm -hmm. and I put um, two playlists on YouTube, okay, which is free to, so free we can, to anybody. So we can find them on YouTube so today. Bill Gamble YouTube. There's two playlists. Well, there's the five, the five essentials. And then there's seven or eight steps to teaching yourself to fly cast. Okay. And it's, and, over 20 years of teaching those essentials, I used to start out when I was young, I'd go up and say, okay, here are the five essentials. My dad and I came up with it. And 
you tell somebody five things and ask them to do all of them at the same time, you can tie somebody <laughs> into a knot. That's good. Um, so what I developed over the years was how do you learn to do the five essentials one essential at a time? Mm. And that's what the seven to eight or seven or eight steps is. I think the eighth step is how to catch a fish, and it shows me stripping the fly and, and setting the hook on a bass or I something. Like it. I but, like it. But but um, um, the first seven steps are how to teach yourself a step at a time with each step more or less adding an essential as you go. And um, um, I use those steps today. Um, um, I um, made a really close friend, a guy I just really en enjoyed talking to him, never met him. He posted on Instagram one time. And based on the picture he was showing, I knew he was trying to become a casting instructor because he had all the the little agility cones laid out. He had his little okay, hundred yard yeah. measuring tape laid out. You, you could he just had casting instructor written all over him. <laughs> and he made a comment about having hit a plateau at a certain distance and couldn't get past that distance, which was short of where he needed to go. Mm -hmm. And I, I I messaged him on Instagram and said, "Hey, if you'll call me, I think I can help you." We talked on the phone. I went through those steps with him, and within three weeks, he was throwing ten feet past where he needed to go, and he's now past his um, casting instructor program, and he's a certified casting instructor now. That's awesome. And uh, so those steps work even for people who've been doing it a hundred years, I use it every February to kind of re because I, I still hunt a lot and yeah. I go three or four months without touching a rod. And then in February, I'm ready to fish again. I pick my rod up and I real, I rebuild my stroke every year using those steps. That's super. So this is a tried and true tested method. I love that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's something we probably need to go through ourselves as we kind of look at this, you know, we, we live here in Western North Carolina. We're not throw we're definitely not throwing, you know, very few hundred foot cast, uh, you know, anything like that, but we're also excited to hopefully do some saltwater fishing here in a few, few weeks, actually here in about a month or so. And so, uh, that's something I think we could definitely learn from. Um, we'll definitely post those videos in the show notes with this podcast. So, so I want to ask you though, before we get off of fly casting, what's the biggest mistake you know, you've been teaching this for over 20 years. What's the biggest mistake you see? That is a, that is a tried and true casters. question from us. Yeah. And that is a perfect question <laughs> for this podcast. We know we're doing something wrong. But so what's the what biggest mistake? Um, or maybe the most changes, frequent one. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It changes. It changes. Whether you're t talking about a beginner or a um, more advanced caster, but I would say timing. Mm. Um, people messing up their timing, not having a variable timing. Um, people kind of understand the variable casting arc, the the, the phrase short casts, uh, short ca short line, short or narrow arc, longer line, wider arc. You know that makes sense. Um, but um, the timing, what happens, I used to could tell how big your backyard was <laughs> by how 
at what distance your line fell apart in your cast. If you were really good to 40 feet and then couldn't throw past that, I knew you were standing 40 feet from your neighbor's fence. <laughs> if you were really good to 60 feet, if you were really good to 60 feet, well, you were standing 60 feet from your neighbor's fence. I like it. Um, and people kind of, they get that like a metronome and they get that distance, you know, 40 feet in the front, 40 feet in the back. And they do that really well. Or maybe it's a, and I'm, I, I don't really know a lot about North Carolina, but maybe it's 20 feet in the front and 20 yeah. feet in the back, but that's what they do all day, every day. And the second they go to anything that requires 35 or 40 feet, well, they come forward too soon, which means the line wasn't straight, which means their rod raised up part of the stroke. And then all of that line straightens mm. and puts this huge bend in the rod for the last half of the stroke. And you get that same sine wave that causes the tailing loop. And so, um, uh, that's probably what I see the most in, in, um, in fly casting. And then as it gets more advanced, um, people get themselves and this will go back to my five or my, my steps a minute. They get themselves into uncomfortable positions. Hmm. You get a, you need a longer stroke for longer casting, right? Well, if you're not efficient, you're using all the stroke that you're humanly possible, uh, humanly physically possible able to do. And you haven't cast a good cast yet <laughs> because you're not doing, you're not doing it efficiently. Yeah. So how do you get more stroke? Yeah. Well, then you put yourself into an uncomfortable position and you can't hold it. Mm. So if you need, let's say 170 degrees of stroke, but you can't hold it there and you let the rod come forward to 160 degrees or 150 degrees to a more relaxed position, but you lost 10 or 15 degrees on that stroke before you started casting forward. Hmm. You That was during the pause. You were just relaxing forward during the pause. My dad and I termed that creep. Okay. And uh, well, you would creep forward. You know, hmm. You're supposed to be pausing but you should be frozen while you're pausing. But if you're in an uncomfortable position while you're pausing, people will relax forward. Creep forward well, that yeah. waste, that waste some of the stroke that they need. If, if you need a to B to throw it back there, well, then you need B to a to go forward. Mm, that makes sense. But if, if you creep forward, then you wasted a few degrees of stroke that you needed. Mm-hmm. And mm -hmm. it causes a little bit of a tailing loop and it's not near as severe, but it will still cause a, enough of a tail that you'll catch your line. And that's much more of an advanced problem. People who are pushing the distance and that's, if I get a casting lesson anymore, which is pretty rare, um, um, it's always someone wanting to push distance. They, mm -hmm. they need to, they, they're going saltwater casting or saltwater fishing, or they're, they're needing to, uh, meet some arbitrary line for the CI test or the master mm -hmm. test or whatever it is, you know, they're always trying to increase their distances is the lessons I get most of the time now. That makes sense. Well, we, we could sit here and nerd out about fly casting probably for far too long. And 
probably a lot of people that listen to this episode would probably love that, but some probably not. So we better move on <laughs> to other things so we can sit here and talk this stuff all, or I know I could talk this all night long. We want to dive in, Bill, before we run out of time today, a little bit more about your book. So you wrote this book, A Sportsman's Pursuit. Uh, the tagline is Finding Christ, Family, and Friends in the Outdoors. Um, Josh and I have both read through this. Uh, it's a phenomenal book, and I just want to talk to you. I want to ask you one thing about it um, before we kind of wrap this up. I think the thing that I love the most about the book is the way that you're able to see in these stories of your time in the outdoors, um, you're able to fully find God in the midst of all of it. Um, and, and I'd love to give you an opportunity just to speak into that a little bit. Well, that, that book came about as easy to me as anything I've ever done. Mm. Um, that's not hours and hours and hours of, um, um, rough drafts and redrafts and that sort of thing. Um, that is me doing Bible study. And when I would read the Bible and I would learn, okay, what's God trying to teach me here? I would, um, I would get the point or, or, or most cases in my case, I didn't get the point and had to read the commentary. <laughs> yep. The commentary told me what, told me what the point was. Yeah. But I, I would, once I realized what the passage in the Bible was teaching, it would literally just kind of come to me, you know, we, we see that all the time. Mm. And like, for example, um, one of the chapters in the back of the book, uh, talks about being on a straight path or something like that Yeah, is the type. And it's, it talks about the torque of an outboard engine, mm -hmm. how it will naturally pull you offline. Mm. Well, I, we're humans are that way. We're, we're naturally sinful and we will stray offline. Yeah. And if, if you close your eyes running the boat, you will not be <laughs> on that line when you, when you start, when you open your eyes again. Yeah. Well, if you take your eyes off Jesus. You will not be going at Jesus anymore mm. in not very many days. Mm. And so we're we're unable to run on a straight line but if you keep your eyes on jesus you make thousands of tiny little corrections and stay straight mm -hmm. but if you take your eyes off you're going to be 45 degrees 90 degrees you might have to do a 180 degree turn to get back on the right line yeah um and so that just kind of jumped at me um the, the stories about, um, you know, we fish, um, that was one about evangelizing. I tell the, I tell the story about me not catching any fish and my friends in the front of the boat, they've got six or eight fish already and I've got nothing. Well, I'm in a bad mood and I, I you know, they came get me to smile. And I finally <laughs> catch this little 12 inch, this, I finally catch this little 12 inch redfish. And now I'm the happiest guy on the boat. And, and at the end of the day, they were like, what was wrong with you? And I was like, well, crap, y'all caught all the fish. <laughs> and and, and um, at the time, I hadn't caught any. Well, then I finally caught wee fish. And they were like, well, what's a wee fish? And I was like, well, at the time, y'all had 12. I had none. 
when I caught one, now we got 13. <laughs> well, um, that's awesome. I, I think about that when I go to heaven and I look around, who's going to be there because of me. Hmm. Now, Billy Graham will have his wee fish and Peter and James and John, they'll have their wee fish, but will Bill Gamble have any wee fish? You know, am I going to take anybody with me? Am I going to take my friends, my kids, my family? And I just, that's, that bothers me to no end now. Uh, am I doing enough? And um, that's kind of my focus now uh, is, is reaching people. And then the, the other thing I, I got to say, y'all are not going to ask this question, but I'm going to say it anyway. All right. Fire away. I um my my heart is for people um like high school and college age mm. that, that know Christ and they're looking for something wholesome because this is this is really really my story as a young person I knew Christ I knew he was my savior I wanted something wholesome I got to college and I saw stuff that wasn't wholesome at all. And that is not what I want to be part of hunting and fishing. That's wholesome. Mm. And then I let, I, then I let hunting and fishing become my God. And I got further away from God or, or I won't say further, but just as far away from God hunting and fishing as my friends did in the bars in college station. Mm. And I was selfish and, self-centered and focused on how many things I was going to kill this week and how many fish I was going to catch. And, you know, whether I was going to get the right amount of credit for those five essentials, I went, you know, boy, don't, don't write an article about it and not put my name on it. You know, that, that kind of stuff just really bothered me. And I was so self-centered and focused on that. I had gone months without really thinking about God. And when I realized what I had done and how far I'd took, I had strayed, uh, you know, the, the church word for it is I repented and turned back and got back right. And now I'm, I, I, I try to tell as many college kids as I can, look, I see it in you. I, I can see you're doing what exactly what I'm talking about. You're not doing bad things. You're, but you've let these good things, but get ahead of God. It's and really, it's really easy to make idols. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what I try to warn people about as much as I can. Uh, that That's what's really driving that story right there is what's really driving all of this. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being willing to, to talk about that. I think that's something, yes, the outdoor, we love fishing, but we have to keep it in its proper place as well. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about a lot of times, you know, sometimes we meet God in the outdoors but at the same time, there's uh, we we have to balance that tension of what are we actually letting uh, lead our lives and lead our hearts and lead our minds. And so I really appreciate you saying that. Bill, this has been an awesome conversation. Joshua, anything else before we kind of wrap this up? Uh, can just want to give everybody a chance to uh, where can they find your book? Because it is a it's a great read. Um, it, it has awesome stories that just really, there, there's and some, I, there's some really love, interesting the, stories in there. I sure. love, by the way, Bill, that you said it took you two years to write a 24 page pamphlet and you wrote this really quickly. So <laughs> I found that well, great. 
I wrote each, I, re, I wrote each story really quickly. Yeah. It was probably two years ago that book. <laughs> sure. I would get a, when I would get a, um, when I would get the, the point in my head and the story that was going to illustrate it, mm-hmm. then that story wrote itself the there next day. That's and awesome. It wrote itself. And then it might be a month or two before I got another point from the Bible study that would, that the, the, the story and the, and the Bible uh, lesson matched up and it really clicked. And once it clicked, it wrote itself Rides again. Itself. It took a little while to get the book going. <laughs> That's good. But just you, a you, cool you, thing uh, you've got, because you've got this, um, it'll mean a lot to, I know like your family and we talk about a lot about our podcast. When we started this podcast, we were just telling stories and interviewing cool people like yourself. And, but you know, at, at some point, you know, the, these things will be here and, and our kids can go, when our kids get a little older, they come back and listen to, you know, their dad sit around and talk about their fly fish adventures. And, and you've got this right here that, you know, your kids can always say, Hey, my dad wrote this book, man. Look, this these stories he had with his, some of these stories he had with his dad, which are really, really good read. Well, I appreciate that. I, I wish they had met their dad, met their granddad. Yeah. Um, he died way too young. They, they had two great granddads and only got to meet one of them. Mm. Um, but um the um those stories will live for a long time you can buy that book on amazon or you can contact me and um you can find me on instagram at bill gamel outdoors my my kids give me a hard time said that needs to be bill gamel's kids outdoors (laughs) because um um, they're the only ones ever pictured there most of the most of the time (laughs) that's the way it is that's the way we do social media right it's all about the kids we promote our kids (laughs) that's right well bill thank you so much for spending some time with us and this has been a phenomenal phenomenal conversation and uh we just really appreciate your time well thank you for having me i sure appreciate it yes sir what you're doing I, i really like dads on the fly well thank you we really appreciate that everyone thank you so much for listening to this awesome conversation and until next time tight lines thank you for listening to this episode of the dads on the fly podcast we hope this episode has inspired and encouraged you as a parent or an angler as we wade through faith family and fishing all on the fly make sure to check us out at dadsonthefly.com or find us on facebook and instagram at dads on the fly shoot us a message as we always love hearing from you all if you'd like to check out any dads on the fly merchandise you can find it there as well and as always if you can leave us a rating or review and share this podcast with a friend Until next time, tight lines. Thank you.